This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert and advisor on the Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Sean Gates is back. He's here to help you stay motivated and hold yourself accountable so that you'll actually change your bad money habits. We're also going to get some love advice from the Federal Reserve. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. According to a new working paper from the Federal Reserve, hey, where are you going? Listeners, get back here. As I was saying, a new working paper from the Federal Reserve looked into the role that credit scores have in predicting the stability and potential longevity of a relationship. Yes, that's right. Your credit scores are like a love score. Bro, explain. <laughs> okay, so um, your credit score, of course, is based on your credit worthiness amount of debt you have, your ability to pay back your debt, whether you've had foreclosures or bankruptcies. And here's the, there are the findings of that paper, as summarized by Bloomberg. So, first of all, people with higher credit scores are more likely to be in a committed relationship and stay together longer. People tend to form relationships with people who have similar credit scores. And the strength of the match, both in terms of the score and the details, is predictive of whether they will break up in the future. And one thing I thought was perhaps the most interesting is that they found that it implies just some overall trustworthiness about the person. So it it often predicted whether someone broke up over something that had nothing to do with money. It's just whether that person was a responsible person or not. When I first read the headline, it was like, oh, your credit score and your ability to be happy in a relationship is you know, correlated or whatever. And I, of course, the, my first response was like, what? But then when you actually think about it, it's like, yeah, if you're a more trustworthy person with your money, chances are you're a more trustworthy person with like not cheating on your spouse and other stuff like that. Sean, what do you think of it? Yeah, no, I think it, we see this all the time in the financial advisory. I mean, in fact, when I was in practice, uh, this was a criterion factor. I wouldn't work with you unless you had a good credit score. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's generally true that if you have a good credit score and your spouse has a good credit score, you actually have similar financial mindedness. You know, you're you're more willing to think about money in the same way and so it leads to good outcomes. So it, although it might not be exactly causative, it definitely is correlative. When I think about finance, I often think about people's abilities to accurately predict consequences. Right, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to put it on my credit card, but I'm predicting that I'm going to be able to pay it off. I appreciate the consequences. Um, and I think about that with relationships as well. Are you making decisions today that are just because you want to do it and it's going to make you feel good? Are you taking into account the effect it's going to have down the road? And I think it's, it's a similar mindset. So, what is someone supposed to do with this information aside from emailing it to your daughter if you don't like her boyfriend? <laughs> I think I, I think I mentioned this before him. My wife and I used to talk about deal breakers when you date someone. And for me it would have been like used to be like heavy drug use or things like that, which I'm still not a big fan of, by the way. <laughs> but when I was younger, I would have never considered someone's financial habits in terms of choosing a spouse. But now, I'm like now that I've grown up, I'd be, I would totally tell my kids about this. Like this is crucial. You have to I don't know if you're going to ask someone for their credit score when you meet them at the bar, but it's crucial to having a successful relationship. Yeah, I think you have to get comfortable with the fact that you should talk about something that is usually very personal. Because even if you're not willing to get to a point where 
you have to have the same, you know, I have to have a 700 score for my partner to be a good partner, but you have to realize that your score will impact them or vice versa. So if you have a low score and you go into a relationship with someone with a high score, one of you is going to give and either is going to adjust and have a low score as well, or the other one's going to adjust and have a higher score. So you just need to realize the impact that that has and talk about it openly. Yeah, it's changing habits, but it's also uh, one of the things they talked about was if you have a high score and you marry someone with a low score and then you try to get a mortgage, it might be become more difficult now because of that other person and that causes tension in the relationship. Do you know your girlfriend's score, Sean? I don't. No, I'm you just You guys about, just yeah. moved in together. I know. And I, you haven't had this very important chat? I think I'm going to have to kick myself out until I find out the <laughs> score. Maybe just email her after the show. Hey, babe. So, what's your credit score? And if she's like, I don't know, you can be like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah that's She doesn't bad. even know her credit score. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to find out now, though. Yeah? Yeah, all because of this. When yeah. you and Ron were dating, was money on your mind? Were they were those considerations? Uh, money was money was not on my mind. Uh, I had a, I had a pretty good nest egg coming into the relationship, and Ron was a little bit in debt because of some previous like things that he had, bad decisions he'd made. Not necessarily bad decisions, but he took time off to try and start a business with some friends, and was putting a lot of money on credit cards because of trying to get a business up and going. Anyway, short story long. Um, so Ron actually, before we got married, he, he said, I'm going to, this is all my debt and I'm going to pay off all of my debt before we combine our money. And so when I, when I married him, he had it, but we didn't actually combine the bank accounts until he had paid it all off and we were on equal footing. We had a similar situation when I was dating my wife. She wasn't so much in debt. She was just much more comfortable with a low balance in her bank account. Which must be, must have killed you. It, it. It, well, it came to like decisions like, hey, let's go to Europe. And like, oh, I'm going to Europe. Um, and back then I thought, well, it didn't really matter so much. Mm-hmm. And I, I had those, you know, those thoughts, well, she'll change. And you never go into a relationship with that. But the thing is, she did change. Like, we have met much more in the middle. And we might talk a little later about changing habits. But if, if that's one thing I would say to my kids, like, don't go into a relationship thinking you're going to change somebody. But in my situation, it did. So it's a little tricky. So does this mean that your wife is better with money and you're now more fun to hang out with? I have loosened up what I what I am comfortable spending. How about that? So spur of the moment trips to Europe? Uh, well, yeah, we did go to Europe <laughs> yeah, a couple did. of summers Just... ago. Took a little getting used to, but yes, maybe I am much more comfortable with spontaneous purchases than I probably would have been when we first started dating. Are you much more comfortable or are you just accepting of? Um <laughs> A little bit of both. A little bit of both. A little bit of both, yeah. You still sound like a really awful person to go to the mall with. <laughs> <laughs> no fun. And not because of this, just generally. Just, just general. generally the personal That's hygiene. It's all very unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw your Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't stay away. I must have you every day. You're getting to be a habit with me. So as a reminder, Sean Gates is back, and he is a financial advisor with Motley Fool Wealth Management, a sister company of the Motley Fool. And he's here to help us talk about breaking your money habits, how to be betterer with your money. And here's, let me set the table. Here's what we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about weird money saving tips like crocheting potholders and giving them out as Christmas gifts or using a lemon rind to clean everything in your house. This is about breaking bad habits so that in the long run, you will keep, save, retain a lot more money so you can put it to better use elsewhere. So to kick it off, let's talk a little bit about habits. 
So we're going to rely on Charles Duhigg to help us understand habits better. He wrote the book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. And he breaks it down into three components, which are kind of like a cycle. So if you imagine a little circle with arrows going around, boop, 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 and it just starts all over again. Okay, so the first part of the cycle is the cue or the trigger. So that's the thing that triggers your habit. So, for example, if you're a smoker and you tend to smoke cigarettes on the ride home from work, then the cue is you're in your car and you're driving home from work. Oh, hey, that trigger is going to set off your routine, which is I smoke a cigarette. So you smoke the cigarette, and then as a result of smoking that cigarette, you feel a reward. The reward being, ah, oh, I'm unwinding, I'm have a cigarette, the day is over, good job, I punched my time card. And then it starts all over again. So next day, you're driving home from work, smoke a cigarette, feel the reward. Boom, 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 boom. So a lot of our habits, well, I guess Charles Duhigg would say all of our habits are driven by this cycle and process. So when we're talking about habits today, we're going to be looking at different ways you can kind of intervene and change your cue, your routine, and your reward so that you have better money outcomes. Yeah? Sounds yeah. good to me. And Sean, you actually read this book. Did I do a good job? You did a great job. And I think I can help. So the reason that this cycle exists is to give you a framework to identify each step so that you can then make a positive change. So for me, example, a bad habit that I have is biting my fingernails. And the cue, which until I read this book, I didn't really understand how to target this. The cue is, is not something, most people think it's nervousness. You bite your nails when you're nervous. That's actually not what it is for me. I eat a lot. And when I'm hungry, just being able to chew on something is a satisfying experience. So the cue is I'm hungry. And then I'll just put my hands to my mouth and start going to town. <laughs> just gnawing on, on yourself. Boys. Yeah. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. <laughs> so then that becomes the routine. So every time I'm hungry, if I don't have access to food, I'll just, I'm down to basically bone and some skin. <laughs> I wondered why you only have one finger left. <laughs> and then the reward is just that ability to chew on something. It's just, it's a similar experience to eating. So, and then it starts all over. So it was, until I read that, I didn't have an idea of what the cycle was. And it has helped. I actually do have, this is actually the best I've ever been with my fingernails in a long time. Oh, they're looking good. Looking real good. good. (laughs) So how does this relate to money? Right, exactly. So what we're going to talk about today are different little tricks and hacks to help you kind of step in at the different points, cue, routine, and reward, and change your money. Most of these are going to be spending advice, but also advice on how to sock more money away, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's start off with the cue. So again, the cue is that trigger that makes you do that undesirable habit in this case. So let's talk about spending. People do overspending, I think, is probably a pretty common one. What are some ways to keep yourself from overspending? Well, I mean, clearly, when you're spending, you're reaching into your wallet. Um, I think the interesting thing when I think about this cycle, that cue, routine, reward, is that we often um, are wrong about what the reward is. Like, mm. for, like the smoking, right? That's the quote unquote reward, although actually, in the long term, that is, will kill you. It's not a great reward. <laughs> no. Um, so you reach for your wallet and you're going to spend something because you think it's going to, and you might have to, you have to buy food and stuff, but it might be something you think that's going to provide a certain amount of pleasure, but it's really not. It's not the reward you're looking for. It's an immediate, right. immediate pleasure. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't have any long term reward. So one thing my wife and I did when we first got married is we put little cards in our wallet. So when we had to reach for our credit card, we had our goals listed there and had a different cue. So while we might think we wanted to buy this one thing that would provide some temporary pleasure, we would then see actually why we'd want to be more responsible, retirement, paying for education, things like that. And that changed it for us. 
Yeah, and I think for me, one of the things that I do is the queue, just removing the situation for the queue. So if you go out into the city and you go into a store, then there are a bunch of queues all over the place on where you should spend your money. I want that, I want that, I want that. And so Shiny. If, if you just direct your attention to something else, like go play tennis or you know any other activity besides being surrounded by all of those cues, you can you can alter the actual cue itself. And you also, as a kind of a little buffer for making that purchase, you also have kind of an imaginary conversation about the item. Yeah. So I'll make uh, a quick mental calculation and just say, you know, I'm going to spend $50 on this pair of jeans. What else could I buy with $50 that might be more gratifying than a pair of jeans? And it doesn't, you know, a pair of jeans is just an example. It could be anything. But that $50 could get you anything else you want that is far more gratifying and you can identify the appropriate reward. Right. Yeah. I think I saw this online as being called the stranger test, where basically it is imagine someone comes up to you and says, Would you like these pair of jeans or would you like $50? And you ask yourself, Well, if a stranger made me that offer, what would I go with? Yep. Hmm. I, I often think about in terms of um, if you want to spend fifty bucks, you had to earn more than that, right? You have to add basically a quarter or a third of that because you had to earn one hundred and fifty, one hundred and twenty-five dollars first, then pay taxes to be able to spend a hundred dollars. So when you think of how much time you had to take to earn that, was it worth it? Maybe for a pair of jeans if you're wearing a lot. It may not be the same if you're buying something that uh, I don't know a video game you know and you're you're only going to play five times or you're going to go out to eat and you enjoy it for that time and then you don't enjoy it anymore something like that yeah so you're that's kind of similar to my mom's little trick of finding out how much she would have how many hours she would have had to work to afford that thing right and that deters her from buying stuff too um, another one about buying clothes apparently is ask yourself would I wear this out of the store and if you wouldn't wear it out of the store like put it on immediately and wear it then you shouldn't buy it I thought that was kind of a nice one. I don't know. You guys don't look like you spend a lot of money on clothes, so this is not resonating. <laughs> what are you, with you. Say, What are you but, saying about our wardrobes? Hey, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I think one because th- I do have an itch where I'll I'll be like I have to go to Marshalls this weekend at some point, and I have to just buy some new piece of clothing. It doesn't matter, and that's that's I would argue that's one of my bad habits. And I think that I'm not a great proxy for the clothes shopping, but I think if you think <laughs> no about judging, <laughs> sorry, that laugh was that laugh was a bit judgy sounding. That's okay. I'm welcome it. Um, Tell if, me about your shaving habits again. <laughs> and how you've used the same razor or haven't used the same yeah. razor for the last year? And just use my newfound fingernails and just <laughs> scrape it off. Um, sorry, people out there, if you can't see what I see. But if, if actually this is one of those things where you could cue yourself differently. So when you have that itch to go shopping, if you created this interesting routine where you had to return an article of clothing that you might not wear as much anymore before you got a new thing, that extra step would be a different cue that might delay the purchase and you'd rethink it and avoid it. So you could just create a rule for yourself where, hey, I'm going to go buy a new thing, but before I do, I have to return an old item or donate an old item. And you've changed your routine. You make it annoying. Yeah, you make it annoying. <laughs> yeah. The next aspect of the habit cycle is the routine, or I guess kind of the actual habit itself. So the trigger happens. You do the you do the habit. It becomes routine. Uh, and this is where we talk about the importance of automating. This, in this case, this is, would be where we talk about some sort of automated tool like a Mint or um, YNAB, the Bro, you know that one. The which what does it say? Why now? You need a bad. You need a budget. You need a budget. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and so it's it's just really taking the mental energy out of it. And so for me, 
basically, I only ever spend on credit cards because every credit card is linked to Mint so that every transaction is then displayed on Mint. I don't have to go in and manually enter anything into a spreadsheet. It's automated. And you can even automate the goals. You can set a goal and then each transaction filters into the budget or goal category automatically on its own. You don't have to shift things around. And so it's really just taking time uh, away from that activity and giving it back to you to do what you want. Yeah. And that's really the point of all of this budgeting and saving and having good habits is that you want to be putting some money away for some future goal that is really important to you. And the more you can automate that, the better. So most of us do that through our 401ks, straight out of our paychecks. Most of us are not saving enough, so you should probably save a little bit more. Same can be done for college savings accounts, your emergency fund. If you know you have to buy a car in three years, you can start setting a little bit on the side. The more you automate that, if it's going to those accounts and you can't touch those easily, that takes care of a lot of what could happen if you have you want to make that spontaneous purchase. You may do it, but you know that you're saving enough for your goals, so it's okay. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, just remind me again, what all can I automate? I know I can automate bill paying. I can automate my 401k. What else can I automate? Those are the important ones. I mean, any sort of cash transfer, so your bills, and that's good too, right? Because we talked about credit score. If you miss too many bills, then your credit score goes down. Um, Savings. Yeah, I mean, I think some weirder ones that you can't really think often of is if your company offers like a flexible spending account, you know, the healthcare portion of it could be sectioned off. It's really just creating buckets and having the money directed there automatically. So it doesn't necessarily have to be savings, but the expense even could be its own bucket, and you just automatically apply it there, and and then the rest is discretionary. So, let's talk about holding yourself accountable, because that also needs to be part of your routine as well. And Rick, hi Rick, as we were in our planning meeting, he talked about the Jerry Seinfeld method. Can we call it that? I think that's what it's called. At least that's how I saw the headline. Okay, so the Jerry Seinfeld method for building better routines is you get a huge piece of paper and you write a huge calendar on it. And whatever habit you want to establish, you do it. And every time you do it, you put a mark or an X through that day. And then eventually what you have is a series of X's. And what you don't want to do is break the chain. And so seeing visually up on your wall, that you have successfully gone two weeks without breaking your habit, apparently is, is a very successful way to maintain a habit. Because Jer- So Jerry Seinfeld did it because he wanted to write every day. Is that correct? He wanted to get in the habit of writing more often? I think that was it, yeah. Yeah, the comedian asked him for secrets of success, and he said, you got to write a joke every day. And so you just write your joke, and you put that, that X, and then as you build them up, you're building momentum. And you don't want to break it. You have inertia. It becomes part of your routine. Yeah, so that's one way to set account- accountability. What's another way? Well, there is the accountability buddy. We're stealing the name from South Park. Getting an accountability buddy. Right. Well, so peer pressure is a big deal. Like you may have read that some people will tweet their weight or tweet their debt or tweet their spending. Um, And that's a big part of it. I'm sure I've mentioned that when I first started losing weight here at the Motley Fool, the in house trainer took a picture of me without my shirt on. And he said he's going to show it at a company meeting if I did not exercise three times a week for three months. Um, so the public shame aspect of that kind of kept me accountable. Uh, so Has he seen you're all your looking Halloween at me, you're like, no. No, I just... your Halloween costume? Getting or, back... How was that shameful to you? Getting back... That's what, that was what I was going to say. Getting back to your Halloween costume where you were essentially naked. Yeah, but I also weighed was, like 30 pounds tell, more back then. I should then. tell our listeners, so for Halloween this year, Robert Brokamp, 
personal finance expert, trusted man around the fool, decided to go as Princess Leia in her Jabba the Hutt slave costume. So, uh, imagine Princess Leia wearing her little, I don't know, metal bikini, and then just imagine a grown man wearing that <laughs> around the office. And don't, ima- don't imagine it. That's not good. Imagine it. <laughs> can be can everyone's you, nightmare. We can show you the pictures. <laughs> I'll just point out I weighed 30 pounds more than I do now back when I started that. So, <laughs> And it's, it's one thing to be like, ah, I'm funny, I'm wearing a costume. It's another thing to be like, hey, look at the fat guy up there on the screen. <laughs> oh, but it worked. It worked. But it worked. Because you're like, i got to get into bikini, my bikini body. I'm working on my Leia body. <laughs> well, and it works in reverse, too, because if you look really good then you get compliments and that also adds to that peer pressure element where then you don't want to lose it you don't want to backslide so once you establish that the peer pressure element really kicks in shout out to tracy doll who at foolapalooza said that my arms were looking fit nice nice and i agree hey thanks you can't see them right now but that like made my weekend (laughs) thank you tracy all right, let's move on to the next aspect of the circle, which is the reward. So we've already had the cue or the trigger that led to the habit uh, that ultimately resulted in a reward and making us feel good, at least for the short term. So what are some ways to keep in mind that we all need a reward to help build good habits? Well, at least when it comes to money, I think it, uh, everyone should have a little bit of money that they should, be, they should be able to do whatever they want with. And this is something we've talked about with couples and cash. Each person should have a certain amount of money. Like, I can do whatever I want with this. I often read about diets, and, and people will recommend there's got to be one day a week. Cheat day. Cheat day. Because you can't go forever without having some sense of, like, okay, I know I'm working to some long-term goal, but there's got to be some short-term pleasure involved in here. Right. And I think just this process, again, if you identify the reward that you're after, because as Bro so eloquently pointed out at the beginning, it's often misattributed. So, for me... There's a couple of different rewards. Part of my frugality is informed by my innate belief in environmentalism. So the less that I buy, the less impact that I have. And so the reward is having a smaller impact overall, and that just reinforces things. But you have to be able to identify the reward first that you're after. Don't just have a cheat day to have a cheat day. Be like, no, I want to treat myself for 15 minutes and eat a whole chocolate cake or something. Make it specific so that you can achieve it. I had a conversation with a Motley Fool member who was trying to teach their grandkids how to invest. And he was saying, you know, it's hard because I, I, they have these stocks, they see that they're going up, but it doesn't mean anything to them because it's a piece of paper. Yep. And I think the solution there is there is you have to let the kids spend some of it. So there has to be something along the way that, that keeps you interested. Because like, okay, this isn't just something for 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Yeah. We also talked, this is also another good little tip from Rick, getting all the props. So, uh, this is also if you love to sh- online shop and you do it just as you're like watching TV at night, uh, the tip is to put stuff on your wish list and not actually hit the buy button because it still like feels good to like pretend buy stuff, which I think is going to be a good one for me because, oh my gosh, Amazon Prime is like killer. It's killer for me. I have a, they know it. I have Am, a f- I, they do. Like Amazon stock has done so well because of the Southwicks. <laughs> it's all because of us. I have a folder in, in my Evernote that's shopping. So if I come across something that I think I want, I put it in there. And I'll review it every once in a while, ideally when you're at a store, because that's when you can actually buy something. And I'll look through it, and I'm like, why did I think I wanted that thing? Right. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Right, and some people talk about setting rules for if you want to buy something that's more than $100, then you have to wait a week. 
Right. Or I don't know. Have you heard of that before? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's a great idea. And a couple should decide on what that amount should be. I'm curious if in your Evernote that you had a Princess Leia costume as a question <laughs> of why you ever purchased it. <laughs> an investment <laughs> you get to bring it out every year yes. just to make it clear it was also a part of this whole ensemble in which it was part of a coffee booth called java the hut it was more clever than just me dressing up like princess land it was very clever oh, was totally you had clever. um you had salacious crumb cake yes the for tip. our hardcore star wars fans I, out there i built know what this that means. booth with the big logo it had a tip jar jar it had a han solo frozen jello han jello and that was kind of clever it was. It was very Super clever. Fun. It was also very revealing. <laughs> I and did I did get the scariest costume award, and that's no joke. <laughs> yeah, every year at the volleyball, we have a, uh, a runway and a contest and vote for winners. And to, and not only did Bro get scariest costume, he also beat out our CFO, who was wearing, quite possibly, the scariest clown, evil clown costume ever. So it wasn't like the that's bar how, was That's low. how scary I looked. Yeah. <laughs> Scarier than an evil clown. All right, well, before we go, we decided that we were going to each pick a goal or a new habit that we wanted to either instill or stop doing. And then we're going to report back on how well we did and how we did it. So who wants to pipe up first with the habit that they picked? I'll start with me. So my wife, my lovely wife, sends out an email every Sunday or so about our schedule coming up for the following week in terms of who's doing what, who has to go where, and stuff like that. And um, I've always wanted to do a similar thing with our money. And most of it at this point is just awareness. This is how much we're spending. This is how close we are to our goals. And I know, Sean, you do this too. You, you, you've figured out what you need to be doing to get to your goals. We have our kids, how much is the college savings out. So I am going to create a weekly report in Mint, check out it every week, and then forward it to my wife, and then we'll figure out what to do based on that. but So at this point, it's just awareness, and then we'll probably shift some spending around once we see really what we're doing. So every Sunday, the Bro Family Financial Report. For how many weeks? Uh, I hope to do it. Forever? Forever. I don't know. How long are we doing this for? What did we say? We're doing this for three months, two months? I think finish out the year. But finish, out the year. finish out the year. Okay. Which is tough, because it's also the holidays. Right. Well, that was another aspect of it, too, because we can we can go kind of nuts. And awareness is so important when it comes to finances. Just seeing how much you're spending on something, you might be like, whoa, okay, we spend spend enough on the kids for Christmas. We can stop now. Yep. And it might set you up well, Austin, because what is your goal? My goal is to track my spending. I've never tracked my spending. Uh, I've always just tried to live, live low. So I'm going to actually start tracking my spending and get a better handle on where my money is going. Yeah, and that awareness is going to come from that. So just knowing where it went with a fine-tooth comb will give you the opportunity to make some serious changes. Yeah. And then for me, I think I'm going to try, this is mostly an experiment, to see if I can have no-spend weekends. So I'm not going to do this wussy one-day thing. I'm going to make it a full two-day even if it's a three-day holiday weekend, I'm going to make that a thing, too. Thanksgiving is four days. Four days. I'm going to do it where I don't spend a dollar. And I'm not going to game it, either. I'm going to actually spend no money for that long, for that weekend. And I'm going to try and do two weekends a month for the next two months. Got it. Without looking like a cheap bastard. Without, well, that's <laughs> just my standards. So I don't know that I can You always that. look like a cheap bastard. <laughs> All right, Rick, how about you? Do you have a goal or a habit? Uh, well, I'm an automator. 
I'm, I'm good at setting accounts up automatically, but I still haven't set up my kids' college accounts yet, and I'm way overdue on that. So that's a goal. I'm not sure if that counts as like a monthly thing to check in on, but it's something that needs to be done this month. Okay. Oh, We're, we'll, hold, we'll hold you accountable. That's good. I'm also going to try to spend less than $10 a day on lunch at work. Ooh, less two, than two $10 goals. a day on lunch. I love it. That means Broido is going to have to start eating alone. <laughs> He's the that, devil. Is, that is Steve Broido of The Motley Fool. And here we can see peer pressure at work because now we're all accountable to each other and to the listeners. That's right. 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 And we want to hear from you, our dear listeners. We want to know the tips and tricks that you use to successfully change your habits, be it money or otherwise. Email us at answers at fool.com or you can send me a tweet at Allison Southwick and we'll maybe share it on the show. If we get enough of them, maybe? Sure, I think so. Okay, all right. You're all smarter than we are anyhow, so it'll be easy. All right, I want to thank Sean for joining us again. My pleasure. He is, of course, financial advisor at Motley Fool Wealth Management, a sister company of the Motley Fool. And so we're going to send him down to the first floor again. No. Kick you out of the fourth floor. That's going to do it for today. Send us your money hacks. The show is edited habitually by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Fool on. Fool on.